Today on First Lady and Friends, uh, we had very special guests, Celeste Edmonds and Richard Paul Evans, who I'm sure all of you know. Um, They are with the Christmas Box House, and uh, Celeste is the executive director and the co-author of Garbage Bag Girl, and Richard Paul Evans is the founder and co-author of Garbage Bag Girl. They had a really powerful conversation with me about... um, Their story, um, Celeste told her story in Garbage Bag Girl. It's an autobiography. Um, And just really about the foster care system here in Utah, what we can do to prevent, what we can do to help children in in care, and how we spread the good message of what they're doing. Can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. Today on First Lady and Friends, I get to welcome some really incredible guests here today and 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 two people that have powerful stories. So I, I'm really excited. Um, welcome to the program, Celeste Edmonds, who is the Christmas Box House, the Christmas Box Executive Director and co-author of Garbage Bag Girl, and also Richard Paul Evans, author of the Christmas Box and Christmas Box founder. Uh, co-author also of Garbage Bag Girl. Welcome to the podcast. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for having us. Good to be here. Um, this is this came about really quickly, and I'm so happy it did. Uh, we do so much work um, in foster care and in the in child welfare space. And you have Celeste, you have a powerful story that was told in in Garbage Bag Girl publicly. And I do. I have to say, I was looking at some of the some of the figures and it's the number one autobiography on on uh amazon right now correct it's doing well it is doing well and top 1000 books total on amazon which is crazy yeah it ebb and flows on amazon i noticed rick knows much more about the richard <laughs> i know him as rick it, it, <laughs> no, it's, it's doing really well we're really but it's, pleased we're very but pleased more, but more importantly when people read it they're they always say i couldn't put it down yeah. and they're moved and they want to they want to be involved with child welfare. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I I told this story uh, to you guys earlier, but I I was handed the book by a, a, a common friend of ours, Jeremy Cunningham, and he said, "Read this. We would love. We want to get him on the podcast." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, of course! You know what an honor to have you both on the podcast." So I sat down on Saturday afternoon evening with the book. And about midnight, I finished it because I, I literally couldn't put it down. But I have to say, um, Jeremy didn't give me much context. <laughs> and I we'll talk to him about that. Yeah, and I should have, I, I should have, you know, I read a, you know, a little bit about the intro, and I just thought, huh. And so interesting because again, we work in this child welfare space, and this is right up, right up that alley, and so. I started reading it, and um, it's it's tough. Yeah, I mean, you lived it, so so it's your your story, Celeste, about um, your experience growing up, um, the trauma, the the experiences that you had, your connection with with the child welfare space, um, living through it, being a lived experience expert. Um, it was heavy. And so, it is heavy. but but thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you. It's it's an important story to tell. Thank you. Um, the good, the really horrific, 
And 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 what it forced it what it forced me to do and what forces everybody who reads it to do is is not look away. Thank mm. you for saying that. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's really a big takeaway. Yeah, that's I think. Uh, and my dedication was to the unseen children because they're all around us. Yeah. And and that's what I hear so much. I mean, we we have about 2400 give or take um children in the child welfare system in the state of Utah at any given time. Um and so so this is an important um topic. Before we get into all of that, I do want to let's Richard, if you want to talk a little bit about the Christmas box house houses, I guess there's Billy there. You have three, three yes. and I, talk a little bit about what they are, why you started it. Um, and, you know, how are things going there now? Well, they're going, they're amazing. And the cool thing is Celeste was there when I started it. She was a very young woman. Um, I was a young man. I had brown hair back then, <laughs> uh, but uh, 30 years ago. I published the Christmas box for the first time. This is the 30 year anniversary. And all of a sudden it just exploded. It was everywhere. I was on the Today Show, People Magazine, and just, it, it blew up. And um, I, you know, I was, I, Carrie and I were being offered millions of dollars for this book and we didn't know how to handle this. Like, wow, that's a lot of money. And how is this going to impact our family? You know, so um, we had a long discussion. We decided, well, the best thing we can do is use money as power to make a difference. So um, we held a conference and we brought in all the child advocates. We knew we wanted to help children, um, at-risk children. And um, what they came up with was the Christmas box house. They all agreed, but they weren't working together. And so we, by bringing them together, it was interesting because at first they wouldn't even sit at the same tables. And by the end, they were friends. And um, that was the first powerful thing we did. And Celeste was my assistant at the time. She's watching it and it's like, well, I guess we're going to do this. Um, it was a nightmare. The first four years of this we were horrible. It just about bankrupted us. We were, Carrie and I were the only one putting money in. I mean, there were so many amazing things that happened. I feel like God guided us through it all. But there were some, a lot of prayers and moments like we felt it's not going to work. In fact, one time the board actually voted to shut down the whole project. Mm. And um, that, those are times we kind of walked alone. But we just had faith that if we just keep going. And, and uh, so we opened the first shelter actually was in Moab. And uh, then we built the Salt Lake, got started to get kids in there. And then uh, we built the Ogden facility. You know, today it's all joy. There's been more than 140,000 children that have been helped, enough to fill Madison Square Gardens almost seven mm-hmm. times, garden almost seven times. And uh, what's really fun is, um, is it, has it been two years, Sal? So? Two, two years ago. That you came back. Three, October Three, 1. Three. Ba- we went back to her and said, um, Celeste, I always like to s- come back to what you started mm-hmm. <laughs> and brought her back. And she is wonderful. But the the thing about Celeste, besides she's kind of a miracle, her resiliency after what she's been through, she has a heart for it that you couldn't have if you weren't one of those kids who would have been helped. She sees those kids and she sees herself. And so, I mean, I don't even know how many hours she puts in, like, 60 to 80 hours a week and it's just like she is just so dedicated so we feel so blessed to have celeste here and you know what it's fun again isn't it 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 was miserable and then it got now it's it's meaningful more than anything wonderful which is important for me and why i wanted to come back corporate world was a great learning experience i was there for 14 years and i certainly went to get marketing and management you know and all those things i needed but it's i just reached a point where i was i was ready for my story my children were almost grown, which was important to me. I wanted my last daughter 
to be um, graduating high school and be done with that part of my responsibility of my life because I knew the book would open up a lot for me personally, time-wise and emotionally. And I, I just needed to have that time to be prepared for what we're doing now. Mm. I, had, I had actually um, based a book it was called Finding Noel on Celeste's life because you know we were close friends. She told me she'd give me little tidbits of this, and it was I was just so blown away by what she told me. And that was a big book. I mean, People Magazine, Entertainment Weekly gave it huge reviews. It went back for an extra hundred thousand copies the first week. It was just a massive book, but that was based on her life. And I thought if we could just get all of it, and it took twenty what twenty five years before we got all of it. Now we do yeah. in Garbage Bag Girl. Yeah, it was a lot. It was harder to write it than it was to live through it, which may sound interesting to a lot of people, but I've learned with uh, surviving anything, any situation, no matter what age you are, when you're in it, you're pushing through it and you're working through it, right? And you, you kind of just want to be out as well. Then when you write about it later, which is why I think it's important for everybody to write their story, you don't have to publish it, but I do think the exercise of writing it is really, really critical to learning so much about yourself. You get to... It's hard to experience it again because now I'm in it. And so I did things like I cried about things I didn't cry about when I was little. I I was sad about losses I didn't get to be sad about. And I was angry for the first time. Just all the emotions that you should feel. So, you know, my good therapist would say this was a good experience for you, Celeste. But it was um, over the top painful, the most hard, the hardest thing I've ever done. But so I wasn't even sure initially if I if I could finish it. And then I had um, two, three young women uh, come up to me in their early 20s after one of my speaking engagements. And they were all sobbing, mm. like snot cry sobbing and said, we just want to thank you for sharing our story. Yeah. And I really just realized that it, it's it's bigger than me. Um you know, 500,000 children at a given time, half a million children in foster care nationwide. And I think we've we've known kids are in foster care all the time and we talk about it and we throw it around like it's a normal conversation. But the reality is they're, they are forgotten people as well. They get put into a category of someone else can help them. And really, there are a lot of people that are helping them, but I don't think fundamentally they're learning how they can also help and empower themselves. So for foster kids that are in the system, this is this is becoming a big message in that way as well. I, I, it's so powerful. Um, again, I, I, you know, as you dive in, you see these kids uh, and you need to see them. That's that's the part is I'm hoping to bring <laughs> visibility to kids that are that are especially kids at the Christmas box house they're confidential we can't even show their pictures they're yep. not even at that place of being a Wednesday's child or you know someone that can be in the media and be helped they're confidential people that donate don't even get to meet them oftentimes um, so bringing a voice to them and a face to them when really all they're asking for are very simple things I have a fun story last night I want to tell you um, so we get to hold these really cool events um, for the kids at the shelters and not only that, but part of our goal is partnershiping with other nonprofits. We have um, 84 now we're up to, community partnerships, and they bring kiddos in the system as well. So we extend that partnership. So we had 60 kids come together last night, and our friends at Hotel Monaco have been doing this every year for us. They sponsor this big bougie sit down dinner they get served they dress up in Kids fancy up. clothes <laughs> so the community you know brings those donations they get to pick their clothes 
They sit down, they get the napkin on their lap. I mean, never have had such an experience like this. And then this guy, Mike, who's been doing this for 24 years for us, dresses as Santa and he comes in. And I think people think, oh, it's the little kids that are going to run over and jump on Santa's lap. But it was the teenagers that started squealing, (laughs) which is, of course, it doesn't matter how many years I've been doing this and how long I was in it. um, I get super emotional every time. It's so relatable to see them. They walk over, they sit by Santa. And afterwards, I asked him, can you tell me some of the stories that they shared with you? And it's, it's such simple things. He said, you know... One of the girls, the one in the cute little dress, asked me if she could have ballerina shoes that fit <laughs> because she dances. Um, she didn't even ask if they were new. She just said, can I have some that fit? And then another boy, um, a 17-year-old who actually ended up sitting at my table, sweet, sweet boy, he said, can I have a camera because I don't know if I'll see my family again and I really want some pictures. Mm. And I'm... Seriously, like it doesn't even matter. I become a train wreck because I just want to walk over and and with this boy I could because I had more time with him. And I said, you know, this is this is by far the hardest time in your of your life. But if you can trust me that I've been there, and when you get to be on the other side of making decisions for yourself, where you feel like everybody's making them for you today, you have so much power to do so much good and you're mm-hmm. you're going to be so you're amazing life's going to be so great because you get to choose such a good path for yourself and he was crying and i was crying and it was just a whole scene but it, we get to do those special yeah. things um and i so i texted the the staff at the ogden christmas box house i said did you know these two things were asked for these kids make sure you make that happen for them and they said don't worry we're on it mm. but what a treasure what a gift to we all get to be part of this cool team of providing these special moments for them that are so simple. Yeah. You know, they're not even asking for, they're not even thinking some of them college, which yeah. is also a whole other topic, right? Yes. They're yeah. really thinking, can I just have some ballet shoes that fit? So when I go to dance class, I'm comfortable yeah. when I perform and it was awesome. So. You know, those are those are the moments and those are the stories I think that, that need to be shared. I think those are... Um, those are the they they can't tell their own stories like you you just said. Um, there there are a lot of reasons why they can't tell their own stories publicly. There's a lot of reasons, safety reasons that we yep. need to keep their identities um, a, a secret because we we just really can't um, yep. get you know we can't be part of that system that keeps abusing. Yeah, we, we it's need, about their safety for it's sure. It's about their safety. Yeah. We need to make sure that they they're kept safe. So it's really important for for those of us that can to tell their stories, um, to see them, to make sure they're heard. Uh, I love that you're doing that. I want to dive a little bit more into um, exactly what the Christmas box houses are doing and and how they're doing it when we come right back. We are back here on First Lady and Friends with Celeste Edmonds, the Christmas Box House Executive Director, and Richard Paul Evans, author and founder of the Christmas Box House. So, and and I guess I should say houses. Uh, there are there are three. Um, as I as I looked at it, tell me a little bit more about uh, maybe Richard. Talk about the different um, houses. You have one in Moab that you said was your, the first one. Um, first of all. 
my question is why why Moab? <laughs> why Moab? And Everybody then, asks that. And then secondly, we have we have uh, Salt Lake in Ogden, and the way I looked at it, there they have a little bit different missions, or at least they're funded or partnerships are a little yeah, bit different they're, they're, in each house. Ogden and Salt Lake are are the same. Moab's a little bit different. Okay. What happens? We started building Salt Lake, right? And, and uh, we got the land donated, and then we just it was a it was a year. In a million dollars over budget, it was just like it was. It was a nightmare. In the middle of this, the state said we have this building in Moab, and we thought it would be a great beta test. Okay. So I remember my dad um, went up there, and actually he's a builder, and he slept on the floor, and they remodeled it, and so we got that going, and we got to test some things, and then um, eventually we finished Salt Lake, and like I said, it was a nightmare, but we got it open, we got kids in there. Um, one real great tender mercy is, I mean, after everything we've been through, I mean, I was just hating it. But the day we opened the doors, I went down the day before, and they brought the first kid of the day early, and it was a um, um, a meth baby. It was a child who had been taken from the mother, and it was just you know a few days old, and um, and I got to hold the baby, and it was just such a beautiful gift. And so then when we built Ogden. Well, the first thing I did when we finished it, we sat down and um, we had a we had a, um, a meeting, like a four-hour meeting about everything we did wrong. What went wrong, me? <laughs> everything went wrong. We had a four-page list of everything we yep. would never do again. And then we built Ogden quickly without the problem. It's bigger. It was it was almost half the price. And um, I was like, okay, we're good at this now, but we'll never, we won't be building these again. Yeah, yeah. Christmas Box House is, is more than just these facilities. Um, in fact, our resource rooms are the biggest part of what we do now, we do more than a million dollars of things for foster um, families, for caseworkers. Mm-hmm. We're kind of like a, um, a really good lightning rod in the sense that people want to donate to us. So we have warehouses filled with things. So Celeste was talking about the 80 partners. Um, we have always seen ourselves as an organization that is here to serve, period. We're here to help people. If you if we vet you and find that you are doing good work, you know, like obviously you are, Abby, um, you're doing good work, we're going to do whatever we can to serve you. And it, it shocks people at first, like, well, you know, what do you want out of this? Like, no, we want to help you help children. And so um, it's, it's worked out really well. I mean, we, we had two slogans. We want to be the most grateful charity in Utah, and we, we want to not ask what's in it for us, always. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's why we've been around for more than 25 years. And uh, we're growing and getting more powerful, and um, it's a joy. Yeah, so, so let's maybe talk a little bit about exactly what the process is. Um, you know, how do kids come to, to house. your house, I mean, and why? So um, kiddos, the whole age, zero to 18, and that is one th- one of the couple of things that really stands a Christmas box house apart. There are shelters, as you know, in Utah, but licensing only allows them to take children through the age of 12. And the downside with that, um, having been separated from my siblings, was we don't keep them together as a family unit until they can be placed together. And that's complicated to run on the back end, so it's not super scalable from a financial perspective. But for the best interest of children, it is the most important because you've already lost grandparents and cousins and uncles and all the extensions that make you who you are, not to mention all of your stuff, whatever you had. It's not like you know, you're know you moving and relocating and taking everything with you. It's just what you have on or what you potentially can carry with you, like maybe an old stuffed animal. And this so, is because in, in, these are emergency removals. Yes, emergency shelters. They're children that are taken 
by the state of Utah. So we as an organization are not responsible for that. Um, So DCFS. DCFS, Human Services, you know, has to make the very tough decision that this child has to be removed. And sometimes there is a foster placement that has already been identified quickly that could work or a family member like a grandparent that's becoming very common um, that can take them right away. But oftentimes that can't happen and you don't want them to go into those placements fast and have them be another disruption. So the emergency shelter is just that. It's a two-week to month on average placement for children who we can keep those siblings together, about a thousand a month, stay together between the three locations, a thousand a year, I can't correct myself. And they stay together and then the state can determine and judges and caseworkers oh, can they go home under a safety plan and they don't even need to go through the child welfare system that way. And 50% of them, half of them do go home that way. And then the other half do go into foster care or with a family member. But again, there's a placement plan that's been established. Um, And so it's for continuity of care, that's really a critical component that stands a Christmas box house apart. The other thing is that we try to bring, like Richard said, it's much more than just a shelter. We can just have shelters, but we want to build services under one roof. So our Salt Lake shelter, for instance, we have a full dental program, anything but oral surgery. So I get for kids, that's not cool. I was 12 before I saw a dentist, so they don't love that part. But we know it's critically important if they have a permanent tooth, we can seal it. You know, we can prevent long-term health care issues for them. We have well child care visits on site. We have transitional therapists. We have an adoption pet program. We have all these cool things that just schooling, our Granite School Districts and our Davis School Districts provide funding on site Mm -hmm. to bring school to the kids when it's not safe to take them to their own school. So it's about continuity of care and keeping them under one roof in a safe, healthy, loving environment. Most of the kids refer to the staff as their uncles and aunts, Mm -hmm. which is awesome. Their other friends there are just now cousins that they feel they've lost. So we do. We've, we've had kids yeah, who have asked if they could live there the rest of their lives. Yeah, life. that's a little oh, problematic. I know. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say they, they, like, they, they finally do. feel, they yeah. feel safe and comfortable. Yeah, I had a, I had a um, seven or eight-year-old girl tell me, and she used the proper terms, which is what made it more disturbing. Is she, she said to me at an ice cream party we were having, I'm going to create a disruption <laughs> so I can come back. Oh, no. And I said, the fact that you just used the word that the disruption. state would use disruption means you've been in the system a long time. How many places do you think you've lived? And she said, I said, you're what, eight? She said, yeah, I don't know, more than my age, though. I mean, she was oh. just like, she just knew it was so big. And I, it, it just shows you, I always say a foster care child's, a foster child's soul ages 10 years. Mm-hmm in my opinion, when they come into care. The problem is developmentally, right? All those things, they are still a kiddo. And so our mission of every child, our motto, every child deserves a childhood is what can we do? We can't change anything that's happened when they come to the shelter, but we have a lot of power from the moment they step foot on our property to change a trajectory of what childhood looks like Mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. So whether it's Going to stone cold ice cream, which mm. many of them have never done, and they're like, "Really? We need to put lots that. of toppings on." Yeah. I'm like, "You can have all the toppings you want." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, or going to the playground and being the oldest, which I can attest to, and saying for the next thirty minutes, you don't have to be mom. Mm. 
You get to go down that slide as many times as you want. Well, and that's the first chapter right. of, of, right, of Garbage book. Bag Girl. Yes. Yes. The book yes. is that Celeste at the age of seven was mom. Yeah. And was competing with her own mother, who was a drug addict. Yeah. Competing with her own I'm mother, like, who's, I'm in, who's in charge. Mom. Yeah. I was <laughs> like, I'm you're the on the couch. I'm yeah. the one cooking mac and cheese. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it was yeah. it was combative yeah. to Richard's yeah. point. It really, really was. And these kids, you can see out of the corner of their eye. They're keeping tabs on the siblings still, yeah. but they're they're doing those things that make them just for 30 minutes at a time feel like, oh, this is what childhood feels like. And mm-hmm. so the book has really, to me, provided an extension of that. Every child deserves a childhood, but every child deserves to not feel like garbage yeah. ever yeah. from their things being moved around in a garbage sack to borrowing items all the time because no one gives them new things. There's just so much in the mind that, you know, carries into your adulthood about how you believe in yourself. And those are really the the big long-term goals that we want to see change in children. And I know it works because being 27 years strong now, we have alumni that come back. Mm -hmm. And it's not ironic that they all share the same stories. First, they come in the house and they touch the stuffed animals, which is the first thing they see. Mm-hmm. And they talk about what stuffed animals they got when they first came in. Then they mention items they still have as an adult that they kept because they were the first new items. It's kind of like the Black Beauty book Richard gave me. So if you read the book, it I lost my items. They were stolen from me. And they were like my five treasures that my dad had given me. Mm-hmm. And I was clearly aware that Two of them, the Funyuns and Chocolate Milk, were trash. Just so everyone knows, I get they were trash. But I'd cleaned them out and kept them because I knew it would be the last two that I would get. And so when kids come back and say, I kept those items as an adult, I'm like, I get you. I get why you yeah. would do that yeah. because they were the last treasures you got before you made the biggest changes in your life. And you want to remember your strength and how resilient you are. And those are big reminders of that. So when they're taken from you, it's it's a reminder that like garbage, everything gets to be taken from you. Yeah, everything you never get to keep anything that belongs to you, and we just don't want that for these fourteen thousand kiddos that come through our doors every year at yeah. least. You you mentioned um, your alumni and and your folks coming back. Do you? I know we, you know, in government always and everything we do, we collect um, data and we collect research so that we can be better. But ta- maybe do you, are you keeping uh, how do you keep track of of your kids? How do you keep track of those adults? Do you are the you state does yeah. okay? And yeah. like what yeah. happens? Yeah, when we they, can't keep. We those can't records. keep. Yeah, we because okay. the kids the the kind of privacy. But then we have right. the anecdotal things. Okay, like when I speak at high schools for Michael Vay, I'm amazed mm-hmm. at how many kids come up afterwards and just secretly say, "I lived in the they Christmas come box to, house they come every single okay. event." Yeah. So, but I was at a book signing, and there was this long line. I noticed there was a teenage girl that just kept looking at me and. Um, Finally, she's like, it's like, wow, she's excited. She got there. She was so excited to meet me. And um, I said, well, you know, come up. And she goes, she goes, oh, my gosh, my whole life, Mr. Evans, I just wanted to meet you. And I said, do you like my book? She goes, I've never read them. <laughs> I go, well, why did you want to meet me? And she goes, I'm a Christmas box house kid. Um, and she said, this is my brother. And she put her arm around this um, young young man. And she said, when we came in, um, no one wanted both of us. And a caseworker told us we would have been separated. And if it wasn't for the Christmas box house, I would have been raised without my brother. And she got teary-eyed and she goes, I want to thank you for letting me have my brother. Oh, gosh. So what Celeste was saying about, you know, keeping sibling groups together, she understands that better than I do, right? Because that was a very real, she's talked about it for years, also about the garbage bag. 
No child has left the Christmas box house with a garbage bag. They're Ever. Giving packs. They're giving. <laughs> yeah. These are things that she understands as a foster child, which you know I know we want to we want to do good and protect them, but I don't you know I, until you actually feel that like she did. You know we have alumni that come back now because they come back to donate. It's mm. so awesome how many. I mean, many through the through the week, especially this is our busiest two weeks of the whole year. And we just open our door and it never fails. We have someone that says, I'm here with my kids oh my or daybreak. They came in the van with all daybreak. Yeah, they're they show up with all these. So we just want to give back. Now they, we can. This young woman's giving stuff. She goes, by the way, I lived here. Oh, it's like it's, it's it's like and here you are you work for day so break. I usually give her my number and say if you ever want to talk about your mm. experience here yeah. please let me know and some do and some don't but I definitely give an opportunity because many of them will let us come back and even film them mm. and just have these cool stories because our again our donors don't get to meet these children and some of them are okay with that but some of them really wish they could and so we get to say these are some of the especially like our gala we get to say these are some of the kiddos that you have helped along the way and they get to thank them for the first time. Because every time I meet an alumni and I say, is it weird to look at all this stuff that people bring here that you never even knew? I mean, it's mind blowing for them. We would have never thought based on our own self-worth that people we never met would show up for us mm-hmm. and give us something new. Like you never even met me. We, we had a, we had a awesome. boy come by a couple months ago and he came in and he goes, is this a fancy museum? <laughs> and when we were going through the building, I said, okay, I want it to look like Disneyland. I, I want the lights to look like Christmas trees. It's like, Aww. I want the kids to come in here and say, this is so much fun. Yeah, people are like, is that it's tree like, up year round? Yeah, yeah, it is. The Christmas <laughs> yes. trees up year round. And there's, you know, but we're 24-7, 365 days a year. But you walk in and there's all these stuffed animals. It's like, well, pick one. Mm. And so we, we just wanted it to be when they come in that they, they can be children and have fun. Yeah, but I think um, you know, in a, in addition to we talk about the kids, I think it's important mm-hmm. to talk about the partners that operate the shelter side. Mm-hmm. Each Christmas box house is unique to the community it serves. So Moab is operated by the Family Support Center, um, Ogden, the Division of Child and Family Services, and then Salt Lake is Salt Lake County under a contract with the Division of Child and Family Services, and. It's it's critical for us because I always remind my team, the only reason we created a nonprofit is to help our partners. And ironically, I probably have a lot of reasons to not like many of our partners, but I don't believe I was wronged by people. When you read my book, I believed I was I was put into a system that is overstressed, underfunded and overworked. I mean, I think of, Mm -hmm. you know, 50 percent of caseworkers have a second job. So we were like, how can we help them do their job better? We create our own 501c3. We work with the community and we bring them gaps in what they don't have. Mm -hmm. So we have our 22 resource rooms in the state of Utah. That's in 14 of the 29 counties. I want to be in all three. I want to be in all 29 counties in the next three years. And that means we will effectively help all 1100 caseworkers, Mm -hmm. which means we're helping all children in the state of Utah. It is the best thing that we can do. We can't scale shelter care. Um, many would question if that was the right thing anyway. We can't give money, more money to caseworkers. We can't hire more case. There's a lot of things we can't do, right. but we can help them immensely fill those gaps that they have in the system. Yep. So that's really how the public-private partnership works between us and the state. It's incredible. And it's, um, you know, we, we want to be helpful as well. Um, one of your stated 
uh, goals or your you know part of your mission is is prevention. It's the first kind of sentence in in that mission statement that I read. Um, and so I I really want to get have a conversation about the prevention piece and how we how we get upstream of this, and we'll do that when we come right back. We're back here on First Lady and Friends with Celeste Edmonds and Richard Paul Evans of the Christmas Box House. Um, it's just been an incredible conversation. I, you know, what I struggle with is all the things that I see in the child welfare space, all the struggles that we're we're dealing with, with the, these children are dealing with every single day. How do we prevent this from happening to more children? And and again, your stated goal in in the Christmas box house is really like the prevention piece. How do we start to prevent some of this from happening? When we first started, I remember we were thinking, man, wouldn't it be great? Like a dentist's job is to not be used, right? To prevent right. the teeth. Um, it's like, wouldn't it be great to like turn the Christmas box shelters into like libraries or something yeah. else? And the problem is that the challenges in our culture and society are they're changing. I mean, at one point it was like, well, yeah, you beat a children, you beat your children because that's what my parents did, right? But now it's it's drugs, mm-hmm. it's drugs, and drugs have become so um, prevalent they're just ubiquitous. They're everywhere. They're getting more dangerous and more addictive, and so. Um, it really is the face of, of child welfare now, as you as you are well aware of. And so how so you come back to how do you stop drug abuse? And it's like, good luck. I mean, it's not going away. So we just have to do the best we can to capture these kids and try to give them a new life. Mm. Well, and I think um, when we talk about like some of the coalitions that I know you're you're a part of, which is awesome. I think, and for me, the book it's about continuing to have the discussion where people can start to ask questions on how and where they fit in. And for us as a nonprofit, it's important that the the partnership support is critical. It's not just about the kids coming to shelter care. We provide assistance for 14,000 children a year. Only just over 2,000 of those are children coming into the shelter. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to think about where the other 7,500 kids are getting supported. And that's because we choose the partners that operate Christmas box houses do so much more. The Family Support Center of Utah that I also serve on the board for is, is a strong partner of Grand County and Moab. And the uniqueness of that particular shelter is that they don't always have kiddos in DCFS custody. So they get to open their doors to the foster parents and the families um, in that community uniquely to offer parenting classes and crisis support. Mm-hmm. And respite. I'm a respite. Yeah. And I'm, a, as you know, it's critical. And I'm a single mom and I need a job so I can drop my kiddos off for four hours while I go get ready and get in my nice clothes and go for job interviews. They get to offer that community a well-rounded community resource center mm-hmm. option. So that that's special for prevention because it keeps those kiddos from coming in. And then on the DCFS side, you know, our Project Elf campaign that we run this time of year is about providing Christmas for 2,600 children, not just because they're in our shelter, but because DCFS partners with in-home projects for families that they want to keep out of the Christmas box houses. The crisis care. Want that. That's right. So we ask for $25 Walmart gift cards because we provide every child um, two of those $50 in Walmart gift cards for those teenagers 
in those families at risk who are not removed yet to go get Christmas to provide financial assistance basically on that way. And the nice um, thing about that is that because we work with the, the state and the county, these, ki- these kids identify. are vetted. They make sure yeah. the kids will use it. It's not being used for drugs. Yeah. Um, so may, yeah. you may give a commercial yes. for, people who, for, people, <laughs> yes, please. for yes. people who want to give to help Project, um, Project ELF. Um, go to the org, and you can make a donation there. And we're, you know, we've been around for 25 years. We're, we're very efficient. If you 27. get 27 years, you give us 10, <laughs> you give us, you give us a dollar and we'll get, we'll give $3 of services. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing. We're able to magnify what you give. Um, also a garbage bag girl, great thing to share. Yes. Um, there are some graphic parts in it, but, um, you can get that on Amazon. Amazon.com, just like a garbage bag girl. Or you can go to the Richard Paul Evans store and get it at a discount. But by sharing a garbage bag girl, we're, we're raising awareness. And we are giving Wendell 1,100 caseworkers mm. in the state. I, yeah. I, we've been told that that's really helpful for them mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to look at that perspective of kids in care. And to remember, for them, it unfortunately does become about numbers. I mean, if you're one caseworker and you have, I don't know, 20 to 30 cases who it's are you going to manage first? I mean, it, they're doing yeah. the best that they can. So I think to continue to bring, you know, that perspective is important. But I just agree completely that the prevention is where it is most critical. Wherever we can help create conversations, put money into upfront services for families, we're just doing better for everybody, for families and keeping families together. Yeah, so, I, so we really invite you to, to help us. Yeah, 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 yeah we, absolutely. We, it, it's, it's a community we're not like a charity then go out and have your people you serve help you. It's like, we don't have the parents who abuse their children come and support us. It just right. doesn't happen. So what has to yeah. happen is the big hearts of our community. And we do, Utahans have big hearts. So you can even Google uh, the Christmas box house and just find a way to help out. Uh, people volunteer, that, church groups volunteer. Yeah. It's wonderful. I believe everybody wants to help. I just don't think they always know the best route. Yep. And so for us, it's if whether you donate financially or you bring an item from the wish list or you volunteer, if even those three options aren't good for you, but you can share mm-hmm. something we're doing. I mean, that is one of the positive benefits of social media is that you get to share good news. Yep. You do get to forward that on. And I think that that's you know, very helpful for organizations like ours. I think the prevention piece for me is um, you know, we, we talk about it, the drugs. There's just, you know, me as a person, I don't know that I can do much about the drug trade That's right. <laughs> in this world, um, sadly. But every person that you touch, every child that comes into the Christmas box house, every family that gets preventative services, that gets that care, that gets that help, is that is the prevention. That that child grows up. You talked about your alumni coming back. You talked about the people that come back and 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 then serve other kids coming in. To me, every child that we help now um, doesn't become one of those parents that have to have their kids removed. That's right. It breaks the, the cycle. Yeah. I would say you can put money in the beginning, yep, or you can wait and put it in the end. And at the end of somebody's life that has had. 40, 50 years of critical catastrophe and crisis, it's less helpful. It's less helpful to change the trajectory of, of the children they have and the children they have. Yeah. And we we get to influence that now in the beginning. And it, it, to see the kids, like Richard says, come back and say, you, you helped me break a cycle. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, what else? What what more can we possibly do to make the a more prevention than to be able to give? Now, Abby, you work with yeah. foster kids, and you know what that looks like. But when the kids come up to you and say, "The one good memory I have of that time was Christmas box yeah. house," and then they their face lights up, and they say. Like we got to eat like gourmet food. <laughs> yeah. like, so, well, something to them special it's gourmet. and yeah. and yeah. to, to yeah. me, you know, there's a lot of research around one caring adult in a child's life, mm-hmm. and that's what you're providing. You're that's providing, right. um, mm-hmm. you know, people that that kids can look to and say, actually, I do matter. I do matter to someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and in I my book, um, I think you know, you you I, hopefully what people pick up on as well is that when I was in it, I didn't think anybody cared. But now looking back and writing my story, you've, you know, I call them my, my guardian angels that came along the way. Mm -hmm. There would be one that would come up every year or so that would come in and just say, I'll take you into my home. They weren't paid. They weren't, you know what I mean? They, They weren't compensated in any way, but they just took me in. It was never more than six months. That never worked out long term for me, but it was okay. It was just enough to show me something meaningful that made me want to be inspired to be like them or to to live a different life. And now I look back and I'm trying to find all those people yeah. to thank them, cool. um, which we've we've got two out of the five checked off. <laughs> and I want kids in care to know that, that I know it's so hard, but you'll find those people if you're looking for them that are really reaching out to you mm-hmm. and really trying to help you that just take a few minutes to give them a, a thank you because it's, it really changes how you feel about where you are mm. as well. It's perfect. Thank you to you both for the work Thank that you. you're doing, for being vulnerable, for sharing stories, for writing stories. Um, we we really appreciate it, and you know we're consider us a, a, a willing partner in in your Thank endeavor. You. So Thank you. Thank you so much. And Merry much. Christmas. Thank you for all Thank you do. <laughs> You can find more information at christmasboxhouse.org. You can volunteer there. You can give money. You can give donations. Also, you can find Garbage Bag Girl on Amazon. Thanks for being a friend.